Welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. I'm Gabe. I'm Tasha. We are on season three, episode four, Rooftop. Opening scene. There's two people on a rooftop. They're making out. The dude's being super duper smooth. Yeah. Like slick, like he's working on her. Yeah. She starts to get a little nervous because she hears the roof door squeak and footsteps. And the dude's like, what, you don't want me? And then you see two flashlights and you hear Stabler say, we want you, Leon. (laughs) And the guy's like, oh, man, it's the sex police. (laughs) Yeah. The dude's like, oh, this cop has such a hard on for me. And he's talking about Stabes. Stabler goes to Benson. Leon's not been out of prison for two weeks. I told you he wouldn't stop. So Benson takes the girl aside and Stabler cuffs the dude. The girl tells Benson she's 14 and Leon snaps and she's like, oh, you lied, bitch. I was like, how do you go from whatever? So this girl's name is Nashika, and she told him that she had graduated high school, I guess, or something. Mm-hmm. She tells Benson that she wanted to be with him, and Benson's like, dude, the law says you're too young to make that decision. She asked if he was going to use protection, and she's like, we didn't talk about it. And then Stabler jumps in, and he's like, did he mention he's HIV positive? Which I don't think you're supposed to do, but whatever. The girl's reaction says she didn't, because she fucking, like, snapped and was, like, trying to fight him, and Benson had to hold her back. Leanne's like, um, you're not supposed to tell that. Give out that info. Right. <laughs> and luckily, the girl hadn't had sex with him. Unprotected sex with him. Right. We find out right at the top. But again, they're going to be talking about HIV and transmitting and everything. It's a different world in 2001. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like treatments and, and everything else. Yeah. We're in the squad room. We're in like a talk room or whatever. Sabler asked Leanne, he's like, how many little girls have you had sex with since you've been out? AKA rape, you know? Yeah. Because. Right. They keep referring to him sleeping with girls and it's like, that's statutory rape. Mm-hmm. So Leanne's like, dude, you have no right to follow me. And then Sabler gets like, he goes from like zero to hundred and he's like, hey, <laughs> Don't tell me how to do my job. And Leon's like, hey, the little girls like like me and I can't stop that, which is fucking gross. Yeah. Um, And he was like, and I was going to use protection and you guys stopped me before I could even tell her I had HIV. Stabler was like, yeah, we can protect chicks if we fucking put you away. Yeah. Leon's like, why don't you just get off my case, man? And Stabler's like, because I don't like you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I kind of liked that a little bit. I was like. I did. And then I was also like. Oh, this is so like, yeah, like the profiling shit and the totally it was it was a funny line, but like for a TV show. But then when you think about it, you're like, fuck off. Also, the intention of it was a different time period of when it was like, yeah, be extra hard on him and go around the law and jump through the loopholes to get this bad guy, even though you're not supposed to (laughs) legally. Yeah. And then Cabot's like, nobody listens to me. (laughs) I know. They're always like, fucking break the law and help us, Cabot. And she's like, I can't. Like, (laughs) you guys shouldn't either. (laughs) They're like, fuck you, Cabot. Why are you doing this or not doing this, Cabot? She's like, fuck you. All I wanted was my fucking sandwich. I just wanted that one pickle. I just want to fucking eat and have a fucking, like, fuck you guys. Nobody respects me. So we're on the other side of the glass. Cabot's surprised that Leon talked as much as he did. Kragen says Leon has the attitude of a, like, a repeat offender. He can do no wrong. Nothing's his fault. What he means is all dudes. What are you talking about? <laughs> you mean men? Okay. <laughs> Stabler comes in and tells Cabot he was in prison for five years for sodomy too. After I finally convinced the numerous underage girls he had oral sex with to file a complaint, now he's moved up to intercourse. And Cabot's like, 
you're speculating that because you didn't find him in the act of actually having sex. Stabler's like, well, it's it's attempted rape and attempted reckless endangerment because of not disclosing the HIV. Cabot's like, we can't hold him based on what he might do. Stabler's like super worked up about this. Stabler's like, I know he's going to do it again. Cabot says, I can try something. I got something up my sleeve, but I have to check on it and I have to use your psychiatrist. And she wants uh, Leon's prison history and arrest records, anything they can find. And so Leon's been in and out of juvie since he was seven and Craigan wants to get them unsealed. So they got to work on that this little back and forth between Cabot and Stabler when she's like you know you can't we can't hold him based on what he might do it reminds me that I haven't watched Minority Report in a while also I feel like they're not focused enough on the fact that that girl was 14 but okay I know I wonder why you can't speculate what he's doing when you find him making out with a 14 year old and then the 14 year old is like I was gonna fuck that guy (laughs) yeah I know you know like I don't know there's gotta be if it was I mean, they touch on this later, too, but if it was, like, some fucking shit on the, you know, Upper East Side or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh. A little white girl. A little white 14-year-old girl. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, my God, get her a blanket. She's in shock. There's a moment <laughs> in time where that guy would have been killed on the spot. Right. There's a moment in time and also a place to this day that that would happen if it was a black guy and a white girl. Mm-hmm. Craig wants to talk to Stabler alone. And he's like, um, I don't remember asking you to tail Leon. And Stabler's just like, I was just keeping an eye on him. I heard he got out. Craig is like, OK, he did his time and he has rights. And I, you know, we can't afford you and your partner fucking freelancing. Like, we need you guys working on cases. And until somebody complains, they can't do shit. And then Stabler's like, Leon's penis is a deadly weapon. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to. Not to laugh at them, but you said it great. <laughs> Leon's penis. <laughs> Craigan tells them to fucking back off until Cabot gives them the word. And Stabler's just like, mm. You can't police with your dad feelings, Stabes. Yeah. Maureen, Kathleen, I- <laughs> the other one that never gets any screen time. What's her name? Shit. I don't know. Leah? Lily? Who knows? Larry. So we got a cabot walk and talk with some dude. I'm guessing it's like the assistant DA, right? Executive ADA Stan Villani. Okay. He's like, we can't, we can't charge Leon with a crime. So you want to lock him up in a mental institution. So 16 other states have some law that states you can commit sexual predators after their prison sentences. This dude reminds her that New York doesn't have that law. And so she wants to use an existing quote, mental hygiene law. But she can only do that if she can prove that Leon has a mental illness that poses a likelihood of danger. So she's trying to set a precedent with this case and she wants to protect people from him. So dude's like, fine, give me something to work with and I'll talk to the fucking DA and see what's up. And Mm -hmm. Cabot's a real ball buster and I love it. I love her so much. Yeah. So we're in the squad room now. I hated this part. I know. I was surprised too. And just last week, was it just last week? We were like, oh, Toots is so great and so like fucking ahead of his time and blah, blah, blah. Just this small conversation, him and Munch like switch spots. Yeah. It was weird. So Toots is going off. He's like, it's not the man's fault if the woman lies about her age. That's the real problem. And surprisingly, Munch is like, ignorance is not a defense. Which is like, you know, legally true. Yeah. In my mind, I would think Munch would be like, yeah, fucking horse or something or whatever. <laughs> my ex-wife lied about about her age, too. She was 12 or whatever <laughs> shit, you know. Oh, my God. You'll never accept him. I don't know. The notes that I took for episode five. Yeah. There was a point in there and I took a note and said, Tasha, this could be the thing that flips it around. <gasps> this is the day my life will surely change. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> so Benson's like, 
uh, Nashika Morris, the girl on the roof with Leon, is 14. She's not a woman. She's a girl. Mm-hmm. And Toot says, what's the guy supposed to do? Check her birth certificate? I'm just supposed to rape as anyone else in this room. She, if she wanted to have sex, that was her choice. She wasn't forced. And I was like, what job are you doing? Why are you here? Yeah. When somebody starts a sentence with, I'm just as opposed to whatever as everybody here. And it's like, you're no, like, you're no, not. Because you're not. nobody else has to say that part before they say the fucked up thing that you're about yeah. to say. Yeah. Not to be a dick, but I'm about to be a dick. Yes. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yes. like. And then Stabler, I love the way he does this because he's like mad and his voice through the whole sentence gets a little bit louder. He's like, she's a minor, dude. What she wants is irrelevant. (laughs) (laughs) And then Cabot walks in with Wong and they're like, uh, are we interrupting? (laughs) You know, so based on all the reports that Wong read, he thinks that he can make a case that Leon Tate has antisocial personality disorder. This whole thing, them trying to do this thing is like a huge stretch to me. What whole thing? Oh, them trying to diagnose him? Yeah, I mean, it just, and I, I know it probably took longer than the, like, I don't know, two and a half minutes. Because <laughs> I was like, wow, this is going real fast. <laughs> Huang says that most people with HIV act responsibly when it comes to practicing safe sex, which they totally do. Thank you for saying that, Huang. Yeah. It feels more responsible for him to be like, listen, there has to be something wrong with this person outside of this that would make him irresponsible to this right. degree. Yeah. So yeah, he's like, Leon doesn't care who he hurts. He either can't control his impulses or he won't. Sailor says that Leon found out he had HIV from shooting heroin because he was tested in prison. So Cabot would like Stabler to attend the commitment hearing in case the judge has any questions about Leon's past. Stabes is like, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Stabes yeah. does have a hard-on for Leon. He does. But it's like an appropriate hard-on at this point. So now we're in the chambers of Judge Elmore, whom I love... Staves, Huang, Cabot, the judge, and Leon's lawyer are all there. First of all, did you notice how fucking tall this table was? Oh my God, I have that in my notes. I laughed so fucking hard because this lawyer... It's like a a little kid, like a (gasps) four-year-old coloring at a table. I, Gabe, this is what my my notes say. She looks like a kid sitting at a grown-up's table. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because she had her arms like like all you saw were her, her nose and her eyes and she's like this is ridiculous yeah. in like an oversized like suit and it looked like <laughs> yeah. some kid wearing her dad's suit coloring i'll have a kitty cocktail and chicken fingers <laughs> i plead the fifth <laughs> anyways i graduated magna cum laude <laughs> what is that movie with all the little kids uh, alfalfa little rascals yeah she looked like little rascals she looked like little rascals that's what she looked like and it took me a long time to figure out what the movie was called to talk about it for nothing great (laughs) (laughs) so we're in the judge so yeah this tiny this big table (laughs) this lawyer is like this is double jeopardy this guy is a treatment <laughs> but she did. Yeah. It all worked up. She's yeah. tiny. The table's huge. She spills her milk everywhere. <laughs> okay. Cabot is like, dude, this is a civil commitment. She gets her purse out and she starts taking out like Legos and stuff. <laughs> She's like, I gotta calm down. Hold on, I gotta take this. Hello. <laughs> it's a plastic Barbie phone. <laughs> okay. She's like angrily pulling out a sack lunch. <laughs> Where's my string cheese? <laughs> Can you get the straw in this Capri Sun for me? She's like. (laughs) (laughs) She was really tiny, you guys. 
she was so little. Cabot's like, this is a civil commitment. This is not punitive. It's not like he's getting charged with something. Mm-hmm. So baby lawyer rebuttals <laughs> by accusing SVU of arresting Leon and not being able to make charges stick. So they want to find a different way to keep him out of the public, which they're, this is what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, she's just calling them on their shit and she's going to get a timeout for it. <laughs> yeah. This judge just really isn't taking any shit. She's like, dude, I get it. Shut up to like little tiny lawyer. The judge asks Huang if he thinks Leon has a sexual disorder. And of course he's like, yeah, uh, he expresses his, he's like, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm actually here because I have to drive her to ballet after. <laughs> he thinks Leon expresses his narcissism and rage by having unprotected sex with underage powerless girls and not disclosing that he has HIV or rape, raping underage powerless girls. Okay. Mm-hmm. The judge asked Stabler how he knew for certain that Leanne was going to have sex with a girl. Stabler's like, well, the girl told me and they found condoms and she's, the judge was like, well, doesn't that indicate that he was planning safe sex? And then Stabler starts getting loud. Either way, it's a minor and that's rape too, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Either way, Leon's BB lawyer jumps in and she's like, there's no way. There's no way you can predict what my client was going to do. Stabler gets all hot headed and cuts her off and he's kind of yelling again. And he's like, your client likes little girls. And if we don't stop him now, he's going to kill one of them. And then the judge puts him in his place and she's like, shut up enough. Yeah, I agree with Stabes, but the way that she checked him was fucking awesome. Yeah. She's like, enough. So the judge agrees that something has to be done about repeat sexual offenders, but she doesn't want to put Leon through a civil commitment hearing unless they can prove that his intent was unprotected sex, Mm -hmm. which like you have as much as this guy sucks, like you have to you can't just do that. Right. Now we're in the squad room. Benson says the judge was afraid to stick her neck out. Stabler's like, well, she'll change her mind when we wheel a body into her chambers. Like these two are really hyping each other up. You know what I mean? Like it's like chill out. One of you is supposed to be bringing the other one back down. And both of you were like, let's burn this fucker to the ground, partner. (laughs) Let's shit in her office. (laughs) They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Craigan walks in and tells Munch to check out a report of a rape of a 15-year-old girl in Harlem. She's at the Metro Hospital ER. Stabler says, that's Leon's MO, and he wants to take it. And Benson's like, I gotta finish up all this paperwork, or otherwise I'm in contempt of court. And Toots volunteers to go with Stabler instead. Cragen stops Stabler and warns him not to pin every rape in Harlem to Leon. They lock eyes and lean in to kiss, but Stabler's busy and has to get going. <laughs> They're in the ER. This girl's super beat up. Her name's Shireen. Mm-hmm. And she says that she met the dude in the park. He told her he could get her a rap audition. And Toots is telling her it's not her fault. She said the guy's name was Andre. He took her to a, quote, real restaurant. And the guys are both like, oh. Yeah. The guy was working her, obviously, like in, in this. Yeah description well she's like a young girl you know Mm -hmm. then he walked her home and said it was a nice night and thought she looked beautiful and wanted to go to the rooftop of her apartment with her he tried to kiss her and he slapped her when she told him to stop then he pulled out a knife and raped her while he was raping her he told her she was quote lucky to experience him because he was so handsome he was the love machine and he was going to make her into a woman 
Oh my God, gross. Cringe. Yeah. Gross. And what an awful, ugh, I just can't even. Toots and Stabler step aside to talk privately. She's got a detached retina concussion. He just really beat the shit out of her face. Stabler tells Toots to tell the doctor the perp may have HIV. And Stabler also says that he's heard the love machine line before and wants to go back to the precinct to look up where he heard it from. In the squad room, Stabler tells Cragen that in 93, right after he got to SVU, a 13-year-old rape victim named Vanessa Hiltz said the perp said he was going to make a woman out of her and that he was the love machine. Can you imagine if you're getting on with a dude and he stops and says, I'm the love machine? Stabler's telling Cragen about this Vanessa Hilt situation. Yeah. He never got anywhere with the case because in 95, DNA was new and you couldn't get it done unless you had someone arrested already. And Stabler thinks that Leon is their dude for that. Stabler contacted the victim, Vanessa Hiltz, and she has AIDS. And Stabler starts to beat himself up to Cragen really bad and tell him that his efforts are worthless and blah, blah, blah. Stabes would fucking thrive as Tom Cruise's minority report partner. Oh my God. He would just be killing everybody. He's like, I know you're going to do something. Yeah. <laughs> he would miss Olivia too much, though. Okay, so Cragen tells Stabler to just pick up Leon, contact some of his Vicks, and see if they are in any shape to do a lineup. Yeah. Toots and Stabler are in a cop car because I guess Olivia is still doing paperwork. They're outside Leon's place and Toots says he pounded on Leon's door but no one answered. Toots is upset because he's from this neighborhood and he's like, this guy's making my turf unsafe for these young girls. Mm-hmm. He grew up like 10 blocks away. Which I feel like is really far away. For New York? Yeah, like how big is like a neighborhood? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a borough, yeah, but like a neighborhood within a borough. Four or- blocks maybe? Three blocks? I don't know. New York? Anybody? That is, that would be interesting to know. 10 blocks away is like, so that's a fucking hike. Is that like a mile? It depends. City blocks are, city blocks are bigger. What am I talking about? I don't know. I like probably heard that somewhere. (laughs) Like New York city blocks are bigger than all the blocks in all the neighborhoods. (laughs) It's different. Bigger city, bigger blocks. Same amount. They're just bigger. (laughs) All of a sudden they see Leon kissing on some young girl, like right outside of their car. They get out to arrest him. Stabler's like, son of a bitch is at it again. And they Mm -hmm. strong arm him pretty fucking hard. And the girl's like, the girl's like, we didn't do anything. And Stabler tells the girl that Leon has HIV and she gets immediately pissed. Uh, And Leon threatens to sue Stabler for telling her. Stabler just wants to follow this guy around for his entire life and be like, AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. All he's got is AIDS. (laughs) No, you know what? And like I said, if this happened to like a like rich guy, mm-hmm. the case would have been dismissed. Just for there that. was literally you know I mean? a rich white guy raping women and stealing their jewelry, stealing their jewelry, and they were like, "Our hands are tied." And there had yeah. to be a victim turned vigilante to fucking flip tables over and make shit happen. Right, I know. And you know how it's like, you know, this person is really important. We got to go by the book. Ooh. Fuck you. Yeah. Now we're in the lineup room. Yeah. Stabler is with Vanessa Hiltz. Oh, she's crying. She's like, oh my God, it's like been a while. She's staring through the glass looking at this lineup of dudes. And Cabot tells her to take her time and Leon's lawyer's like, no coaching. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's in the corner eating goldfish. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Wong's over there shaking his keys at her. To calm down. <laughs> How young is she? <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> Cut those grapes in half. <laughs> Craig is breastfeeding her. 
Uh, Craig is trying to figure out if he should have an abortion or not. He doesn't know. It's too early. <laughs> That's how young she is. So Vanessa just really can't tell. You know, it's been too long. And she starts bawling and apologizing. And Stabler's like, oh, my God, it's okay. It's not your fault, you know? Mm-hmm. So she leaves the room. And then they, yeah, Shireen comes in. She's the one that was raped in the park by that person that said he was a love machine. She's got something over her eye because she has that detached retina thing. Mm-hmm. And she starts crying, which I would imagine in her state would be really painful to cry, like, with a detached retina. And, oh, like, my God, yeah. You know, and she can't really tell either. And she's like, maybe when I can see better, Leon's lawyer is like, I'm taking him home now. And she gets on her big wheel and she puts the guy <laughs> in a fucking radio flyer in the back. Just fucks off. <laughs> Staves is like, ah! <laughs> Toots is outside an apartment complex getting a report from a resident. It's nighttime. There's ambulances and sirens and cop cars. This dude is mid-story telling Toots, all of a sudden a flaming shoe hits the ground and I look up and here comes the rest of her. He didn't see anyone else up there, but he was busy putting her out. So he saw a body fall from the rooftop on fire. I would be absolutely like in shock. I don't I don't even know. I don't know how long it would take me to compute it was a person. You know what I mean? Right. So Stabler shows up and asks about everything going on, you know, and the, apparently the perp lit her on fire and tossed her over the roof. The girl is 14-year-old Aisha Thompson. Things are escalating dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Corner Warner says she was dead before the perp lit her on fire, which makes me feel better, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, thank God. Right. Just none of it's great. Right. So she was strangled after she performed oral sex on the guy. A fucking man pushes through all the cops yelling for his sister, Aisha. Oh, and Toots knows the guy. His guy's name is Rodney. He was such a good actor. Like, my heart was broken for him. He made me yeah. forget that I was watching a show yeah. that was highly dramatized. Yeah, he was like, my sister! And he, like, fell back into, like, the cops. And they were, like, had to hold him because he was mm. like, ugh. So we're at the precinct now and Rodney's talking to Toots. Toots said when he moved to Brooklyn, him and Rodney's parents fell out of touch. They, like, grew up together together mm-hmm. and Rodney and he's like how are they doing and Rodney's like well dad got like hooked on dope and disappeared and his mom died of breast cancer two years ago so it's just been him and Aisha for a while that night she had gone to the library for a school project and didn't come home and he had been up all night looking for her he had called all of her friends and n- nobody had seen her and he's like Aisha tells me everything and never mentioned a boyfriend or anyone paying attention to her and she had just gotten accepted to a gifted kids school and then Rodney's like what are you gonna fucking do about this Mm-hmm. And Toots is like, we got a line on this dude. We think we know who he is and we're going to fucking get him, you know? Yeah. Now we're on the other side of the glass in uh, Craigan's cabin. I'm running out of fucking places that somebody can be. <laughs> oh. So Craigan's curious how Toots knows the victim's family. And Stabler and Cabin are in the room. Stabler said that Toots grew up with Rodney and Aisha's mom. They need a warrant for Leanne's apartment, but they don't really have much evidence. They also don't know all the things that Leanne's done in the past and how ruthless he's been. So Cabot's like, I'm going to put in a motion to have Leon's files unsealed. And she says, it's going to take a while, but they don't have a lot of time. Like, it's escalating so much. And Cabot's like, you know, Leon hasn't lit anybody on fire. It doesn't do this. Like, this seems too like too much. And they're like, mm-hmm. we don't even know. We got to get those files unsealed, which I thought they were already working on, but whatever. So while that's, well, it's going to take a while to get them unsealed, Cabot suggests talking to the folks in juvie like maybe somebody there might remember leon yeah now we're at the office of bert ferris this fucking guy <laughs> i know like it's like i don't think you should be working with kids anymore 
<laughs> so he's the assistant corporate counsel or whatever. <laughs> Sailor and Toots are talking to this dude. And he's like, I keep all of my notes on all of my cases. I keep my notes. I keep my notes on all my old cases. The day I started this job, they put that little bastard's overstuffed <laughs> file right on my desk. He sounds, in my interpretation just now, it was he sounds that though. Yeah, but that but was right. Yeah, he sounds like who's that lady who's like, oh god, she's just old time and she talks with these asses like this. Judith Carol Channing. Carol Channing. That's it. Carol Channing. So this guy sounded like Carol Channing. <laughs> Only deeper. I keep yeah. my notes on all my old cases. The day I started this job, they put that little bastard's overstuffed file right on my desk. Put, uh, do it in a deep voice though. Oh. Can you? Because of the essence? I don't know. Let me try. I keep my notes on all my old cases. No, because then I turn into like a, like a late night news reporter guy. The day I, no, the day I shot at this job, they put that little bastard's overstuff file right on my desk. That's better. Yeah. Okay. Well, we did it. We We did it. (laughs) Together. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Take 35. We did it. (laughs) Stapler tells him that Wong pegged Leon. End sentence. (laughs) Stop. Sabler tells him that Huang Peg Leon with antisocial personality disorder. The dude says that sounds mild compared to all the shit he read about Leon from back then. He's like, this file said he was basically a fucking serial killer in the making. Leon liked to torture and kill neighborhood pets, which is just the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. The judge was lenient on, it, lenient on him, much to this dude's dismay. Why am I talking like this? Why do I do oh this my- in my notes? Oh my God, the, be- the guy, he goes, hey, I argued he should be put away, but Judge Bleeding Heart wanted me to exhaust every possible treatment option. I put three Bs so I could remember oh that he's a- Judge Bleeding Heart. <laughs> yeah, so this guy did not want him out on the street. The judge finally changed his mind about Leon after fucking he torched a treatment facility and nobody else would touch him. And there's like a hard pan in on Toot's cartoonish head swivel to look at Staves. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> And this guy's like, dude, fucking nine out of the 11 of Leon's juvie arrests were for arson. So he has lit shit on fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Get him. <laughs> so in the squad room and Staler's telling Huang that Leon had told the judge he killed a puppy to see what it felt like. I don't even like saying a sentence like that. Yeah. Huang says adding the pyromania, Leon scores two out of the three on the triad of sociopathy. And Munch strolls by because he wants Huang to know that he knows stuff too. And he's like, bedwetting would make him three for three. <laughs> yeah. And Huang just was like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yep. That's um, basic. Oh, so you have a PhD too? Oh, cool. Oh, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I didn't know that. Just kidding. I did. And I do. And shut up. You know what I would love is for just a full episode of Huang profiling each of the detectives. Because as I was annoyed at Munch for interfering with the middle of Huang's statement, Mm -hmm. I was like, I wonder if Huang sits there and goes, "Okay, you fucking narcissist. Like, what does he say (laughs) in his head? Right. When Munch talks or when Staves brings his daddy shit into the precinct. Yeah, I don't know. Or when Olivia gets too attached to it. I know. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Kwong says that following Leon may have been the thing that set him off, actually. And then he takes a sip of his coffee like a Kermit sipping tea gif. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. Maybe you guys following him was the thing that set him off. But that's none of my business. 
And Stabler's like, oh, it's our fault? Huang's like, I'm profiling, not accusing. So. That was a gaslight. Yeah. He was accusing. <laughs> Huang does a little bit of that. He does a little bit of like um, smart guy, keep it calm, gaslighty shit. Yeah. Munch says that there's three shifts around the clock at Leon's place and nobody's seen him. Nobody knows any friends or family that he could have holed up with either. His mom moved from the address that they have and they don't know where she is. Craig wants them to check Leon's prison phone records. Maybe through that, they'll find out where she is. He wants Leon's building canvas as well. Craig wants Munch to pull every rape and sexual homicide of girls that fit Leon's type in all five boroughs going back 10 years because there may be more girls than they know about. That is a huge, unfortunately, a huge fucking task. Mm -hmm. He's like, Munch, will you go sit in this gigantic room? Because every rape and sexual homicide of girls that fit Leon's type in every borough for the last 10 years. I don't even want to know how many that could possibly be. Right. Or is he like, hey, go grab five people. Hey, put together an entire team because there's no way that you're going to do this in the amount of time that we need it done. Right. And Munch is like, it's fine. I'm a vampire. So now we're at the apartment of Alva Tate. That's Leon's mom. Stabler and Toots are talking to Leon's mom. She's hissed. She goes, you come to take another five years for my son? And she's got this cropped Olivia Benson-esque hair Mm -hmm. and is wearing this comfortable looking outfit, but like professional looking at the same time. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. she looks like she could throw a blazer over it and then be like really put together. She strikes me as someone not to fuck with. Like she was holding her own very well with these cops. They keep asking her questions and she just, skips right over and keeps bitching about them hassling her son. Well, she talks like she's someone who has dealt with them for years, which she has because of her son. Yeah. She's like, you put my son in prison because some 14-year-old hussy told Leon she was 21. Mm. And I was like, Mm-mm, honey, no. And then Toots is like, so it's her fault? She's like, girl never led you on? Stabler like doesn't care. He's like, you know, a girl was murdered last night and she insists that Leon didn't kill anyone. She's like, I don't think he's messing with those girls because I told him not to. I'm like, okay, mom. No shit. Yeah, and Stabler's like, um... Well, he's not listening because I just saw him like fucking yesterday. I literally saw him with my eyeballs the other night. Yeah. And then you can see her being like, ugh. Yeah. The tiny bit of denial she had left. You could tell. Right. Well, it was like every, I mean, she had an answer for everything, but you could just see the corner that she's getting painted into getting smaller and smaller. And Mm -hmm. Stabler's like, doth my own eyes deceive me? (laughs) I don't know. She's painted into a corner and she has to, like, you can see her shoulders just slump down and she's like, fuck. Yeah. And she's like, I don't know why he's the way he is. She's blaming herself as I'm assuming moms do. Yeah, we do. She's like, I tried to raise him well. I don't know why he's this way. I'm worried he's fucking shooting dope because of you, Stabler. (laughs) Basically, she's like, because you're harassing him all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's why he, you know, he's getting harassed by the cops. And that's why he would do drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's not an excuse, but fine. She says, Leon said you were dogging him, and he was. Stabler was following him around. And, like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's going to make someone use, but a lot of times that's a coping tool, or that is a coping tool for an addict, and it may be the one that they are quickest to use if they don't have, like, a solid recovery program. Right. And but that kind of stress would I mean I'm just saying the black and white of like it's your fault that he's taking this action but when you break it down it's like you did contribute to that stabler that's just my Mm. opinion I don't know I just feel like you know 
you can't make like Toots is right. You guys didn't put the needle in his arm. I mean, he says that later, but I know. But then that's taking away any of the responsibility of like fucking with people's heads. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a whole other fucking thing. So she saw him last night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're at the door of like Leanne's neighbor. You only see this guy once. I fucking love him. Me uh, too. Yeah. This dude isn't, isn't, he's not having it. They're like, hey, have you seen Leon? And he's like, you fucking try knocking on his door. You guys try that? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, he's not there. And he's like, well, I mind my business. I guess I can't fucking help you. He slams the door in their face. Just as like stable, just like, here's my cut. Oh, okay. He, he, he has nothing to do with anything. He wasn't, that, that's the one and only time you see this guy. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm for it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> now they decide to check Leon's rooftop. Stabler and Toots are up there and Toots is like talking about how he spent a bunch of time on the roof when he was a kid. Um, he's like, oh, I hated this so much. <laughs> He's like, I couldn't afford a vacation to the Isle of Aruba, so we went to the Isle of Arufa, Tar Beach. And I was like, no! No toots! Don't! How big of a bonus did they give Ice-T to say the absolutely most terrible line ever? Oh, that was so bad. I almost fucking broke my computer in half and was like, I'm done with this podcast. I'm not doing this. (laughs) I can't. Tar Beach! Tar Beach! Arufa! Get it? I thought of that just now. Get it? Stabler should push him off the roof and just slap. Yeah. <laughs> or it'd be funny if, if like thirty seconds later, Stabler was like, "Oh my god, a roof!" Oh, I get it. <laughs> get it now. I didn't know what you meant before, but I just laughed because I just like went along with it. I don't know. <laughs> Everyone's on the Isle of Arufa now, <laughs> and uh, I don't care about this conversation at all. Stabler fucking finds Leon OD'd on top of the roof. Like mm-hmm. he's dead, which doesn't raise his pulse at all. They're like looking around the roof, having a conversation about like, oh, this is how I grew up. Oh, yeah, this is how I grew up. Like two dudes connecting, which Gabe and I talk about. That's all we want for men. And then when they do, we're like, anyway, we don't care about their stupid conversation about their childhood. <laughs> I always thought like dudes connected like in um, Avatar, you know, how they have those ponytails, but I thought it was like they're wieners. They have to like touch wieners <laughs> to like be able to have conversation. But one has to be circumcised and one has to be uncircumcised. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> oh, I didn't make the A team. Legend of Zelda was my favorite game. <laughs> Don't say a word. <laughs> Yeah, so Stabler finds Leon OD'd on the roof and doesn't change his tone of voice whatsoever. He's just like, oh, here he is. Took a taste and OD'd or whatever. I, yeah. Ooh, he took a- I'm like, give one of your shits, Stabler. Yeah. Like, it's a human. Per- you just found a human person's body. And I get it. He's desensitized or whatever, but not even a. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, you know. Like- a tiny gasp. <laughs> now everyone's on the aisle of Arufa now. Stop. <laughs> Benson says he's been dead for like at least 18 hours. She's like, he still could have killed Aisha. Yeah. The chick that was on fire off the roof. Stabler is like glad for the safety of any future victims that Leon was going to maybe have. Munch goes, guy ODs two weeks out of prison. Talk about bad karma. Like when he doesn't get many lines, he puts all of his accent into the few lines that he gets in an episode. (laughs) I wonder what his real accent, what if he's British? Is this my Andrew Dice Clay joke opportunity? Yeah. For this season. (laughs) So Benson gets off the phone and there's been another body found on another rooftop. Now we're on the other rooftop. (laughs) A dude that came up to feed the pigeons found her. Have you watched the Tyson thing about him uh, raising and training homing pigeons? 
Who? Mike Tyson. No. It's like a sportsman hobby thing and he's super into it, like on a city rooftop and he trains pigeons and they live in this bird cage and fly around the city and then they come back. It's some sport where they like race them. I don't know. It's a whole... Oh, is that where there's this meme that I love where he's holding two pigeons and he's like kind of pushing their beaks together and then... It says, now kiss. <laughs> and every time I see him, I'm like, yeah, he's really into, I mean, he was when I saw this documentary about him, but he was really into raising and training and racing homing pigeons. Mm, I had no idea. Mm. He's a, he's a interesting dude. Yeah. Corner Warner tells Benson Saylor that this gal is like probably no more than 16. She was raped and killed and the perp like fucked her face up with a brick. There was like pieces of skull in it. Uh. Um, so she tells Benson Saylor that it couldn't have been Leon because the Vic is still in rigor. So she was probably killed this morning and Leon was dead by last night. So Stabler fucking gets upset and he's like, oh my God, I wanted it to be Leon. I, I wasted all this time trying to make it be Leon. And Benson's like, oh, everything fit. I mean, how could uh. you know? And Sailor's like, another girl's dead because I went down the wrong road. And I'm like, yeah. fucking finally some self-awareness, Stabler. Yeah. So we're at the precinct now. Leon's mom is pissed. She's never, I mean, and duh. She's yelling at Stabler and he's like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry about Leon. She blames him for Leon's death and saying Stabler murdered him. Toot steps up and was like, dude, Stabler was just doing his job. And she was like, my son is innocent. And then Toot says, your son was going to kill somebody with his HIV. We had to stop him. We didn't put the needle in his arm to me, which is true. And then mm. she's like, you didn't, but you all stick together, don't you? And storms off. And I didn't really know what that meant. She's not wrong. She's talking about Toots being a cop and standing up for Stabler and not oh. maybe being on the right side of things, in her opinion. Right. Because of the racial overtones throughout the right. episode, it may have involved that too, but I can't speculate that. Yeah. I have no right to speculate. I feel Is like that a we're thing? Gonna, No, I just feel like we're like that was a very Cabot thing to say. Like we're we're oh. get, we're starting to get there where we're like Yeah. You know, not enough evidence. So the newest rooftop victim was fourteen year old Tiffany Purcell. Benson's gonna go call her mom because she's in charge of feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Stapes thanks Toots for having his back and like Sabler's taking it kinda rough whatever mm-hmm. it's your own fault um <laughs> link your dick up with some dude and fucking feel about it did you hear me what i said link your link your dick up with some dude and feel about it <laughs> i'm like you did you hear my job <laughs> you knew it was like oh she must have not heard me because she did not laugh hard <laughs> So now we're in the squad room. Munch is commanding the room, saying that they're checking every parolee in the last two years who's ever been arrested for any violence against women. It's like, that's so much. Craig thinks that none of the MOs are the same, but Stabler says the patterns of the victims are, they're all black, young, good students, and never been in trouble. Mm-hmm. Huang thinks this isn't just some like random psycho. The perp is more likely like well-educated, attractive, seems trustworthy, and has kick-ass social skills. Every time he cons a girl into submission, he proves how much smarter he is. Yes. So he's changing locations and MO, so it's harder for the cops to pin him down as well. The one victim that was set on fire, Huang thinks something about her or something she said set him off maybe she hurt him physically or challenged his sense of control this guy probably also has a submissive wife or girlfriend and wong says that he was told enough times as a kid that he was shit and he believed it and needs that control back yeah Um, stabler likes to jump in too and be like my old man told me i was a piece of shit and i'm not doing that and it's like well good for you he is yeah like let's focus on this yeah i do stuff too (laughs) i've linked i've linked a few dicks you know (laughs) 
I'm never gonna get that out of my head of like a fucking uncircumcised dick like enveloping <laughs> the tip of another dude's dick. And then they just start crying. <laughs> this is so emotional. Oh. And then like the colors of the wind, magical leaves flow. <laughs> their arms are like this and their dicks are linked. They're like belly to belly. <laughs> Kraken thinks they are on borrow time before this dude kills again. He wants the perp descriptions from all the victims. So then Aisha's brother Rodney walks in and he's pissed again. Rodney, the dude who grew up with Toots. Yeah. He thinks they aren't doing shit because of the neighborhood that they live in. Toots was like, save that shit for someone else. I know your family, we're from the same place and we're the same color. Mm -hmm. And then Rodney just like takes off super mad. Then Munch, Benson, Sabler tell Toots to come with them. There's another girl. I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck is going on? Like, Mm -hmm. we're at the Harlem Apartments rooftop. Corner Warner tells the gang the cause of death is ligature strangulation. She was raped and she's been dead for about 12 hours. And she had put up a fight. Warner wants to compare the DNA from all the victims to see if it's the same person. Munch is talking to the landlord or super or something, and he's so sweet. This is a heartbreaking conversation of information, but I would be remiss if I didn't note that this guy sounds like a baritone Cleveland from Family Guy. He does. I wish it was a lighter conversation so I could do his voice, but it was one of the many things that endeared me to him. And I loved this guy's reaction because you know how like every other reaction is like, man, you guys can't shut down my business or you nobody's gonna rent for me again it was like oh my god i like loved her and her parents were all were like really great and responsible and paid rent on time and mm-hmm. she was so sweet and i've noticed since she was a little kid and of course immediately i was like oh my god if what if it's this guy <laughs> you know <laughs> He tells him that the mom knows about Tina and that the dad is away on a cargo ships and they're trying to reach him right now. And they ask him if they'll take him down to Tina's apartment and talk to the mom. Mm -hmm. So now we're in Tina's apartment. Munch is chatting with the mom on the kitchen. She is really obviously upset. Um, She says she sent Tina to the store around 10 p.m. last night. And I was like, oh, man, that's like super late to me. But for a kid to go, well, here's Gabe mom shaming again. I know. I was just (laughs) thinking, like, right. I was like, I'm like, I gotta stop doing that. I'm like, that's weird to me. She should have known. But it's like, you know, oh, there goes Tina off to the store. Irresponsible mothering, if you ask me. (laughs) I know. I gotta I gotta like not do that as much. I know. But doesn't it make you aware that like everybody's doing that to moms all the fucking time? I know they are. Specifically moms, too. Like I said that a dad mm-hmm. can fucking bring a goddamn kid to a park and push him on a swing and everybody's like <gasps> dad of the fucking year oh my god i want to suck his dick yeah yeah and a mom yeah. uses a fucking shampoo and they're like it's not the right organic oh. anyways she sent tina to the store just around the corner at 10 p.m last night so the mom works graveyard shift at the post office and she had done a few hours of overtime and came home and assumed that tina had like gone to school and she says that no one comes over when she's at work and tina doesn't have a boyfriend or anything and she's like really shy around dudes but there was a boy that had like a crush on her or something a boy at school you know so munch pulls suits aside and said that he found a piece of paper in tina's room with numbers on it and munch is gonna have somebody run through them like he's gonna have somebody call them i mean so we're at the corner store where tina was last seen the cashier recognized her i love this fucking guy by the way mm-hmm. the cashier recognized her she, she had come in last night right before he had closed munch and twos asked if she came with anyone but she was alone and then he was like well maybe there was a guy that came in like behind her and they started talking like they knew each other it's like dude had a shaved head and no beard which is a funny descriptor to me like the default is to have a beard so like, he had a shaved head and no beard I would never describe a clean shaven dude by using the words he had no beard. (laughs) Right. Right? (laughs) 
I don't yeah. know. So now we're back at Tina's apartment building. The super or the landlord tells Munch and Toots that one of his tenants recently shaved his head and beard. One of um, my tenants just went for the cue ball look. Is, no. He did one, sound like that, one of my te- But it was like bassier, though. I can't get my voice that low and do Cleveland. Yeah. One of my tenants just went for the cue ball look. That's it. You got it. That was okay. good. All right. Oh, geez. I didn't know I was going to be so, like, <laughs> glad to hear it. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, <sighs> like he sounds and looks like a guy who has a closet full of cardigans. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes, and maybe some overalls. You know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Ugh. So we're at Malik Harris's door, and he's hot. He like, is one of the hottest dudes I have ever seen. <laughs> Yeah. He opens the door without a shirt on and I ginger minge flood my basement. (laughs) Right. It was. Yeah. I know he's going to be the bad guy at this point, but I'm like here for it. He immediately shows his ass as a piece of shit, too. I'm like, what's that, buddy? Mm." (laughs) Say it again, friend. Um, (laughs) He's uh all sassy when Munch asks if his name is Malik. He's like, that's what's on my birth certificate, but I'm professionally known as King. And I was like, ew, ew. why are you so hot? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> what a waste, ew. <laughs> so he won't let them in and you hear a girl's like, who's there, baby? And he's like, nobody that concerns you. And I was like, oh, he's like, controlling. This is what they're fucking, whatever. Mm-hmm. He ends up letting them in. She starts asking him questions and he snaps and he's like, you see him speaking to these fucking officers? Yeah. Then Munch and Toots like shoot each other a look. His girlfriend or whatever has a cute little messy ponytail and an even mm-hmm. cuter little kimono style silk robe that I want. It I has know. nothing to do with anything, but I was, I had to go back to re- hear what they were saying because I was like, oh, look at that cute little robe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They ask him if they know what's going on. And he's like, I haven't been outside. Like, they're like five times they insinuate that they've been in the apartment fucking. Like, it's like, we get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. You guys were fucking fucking. And they're like, well, there was a chick murdered on the rooftop. And they let him know it was Tina Dupree. And he was like, oh my God. I just like walked her home from the corner store. And they're like, where were you the rest of the night? And he legitimately says, baby, now you may dialogue. Ew. And I was like, ew. And then she's like, we haven't left the apartment. We've been busy, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink. Alluding to sexual intercourse. A couple of swipe ups. <laughs> Outside the building, Munch is filling Stabler in on the Malik conversation and talking about what a prick he was to the girl. Just like Huang had mentioned, the perp would be. They're kind of like, why would he risk something so close to home? And Stabler suggests that Tina was a victim of opportunity. So there's a crowd outside and they're all riled up and Rodney's there saying, please just putting on a big show for us. That's all. And Toots is like, I got this. He's not fucking having it. Yeah. So Toots addresses everybody, but specifically Rodney. And he's like, "Uh, do you have a problem? Because we're fucking here and the press isn't. Your beef's with the media, not thinking you're important enough to report on. Not us, because we're here taking care of shit. Rodney makes a good observation where he's like, if this is a white girl up in fucking the East Village or whatever, this would be all over the fucking news. There'd be a hundred people on it. And now there's five girls and Mm -hmm. still nobody gives a shit. So Toots takes that as like a personal affront. Right. So Toots is like, you go ahead and call the press. In the meantime, does anyone have any information that can actually help us? Nobody says anything. So he's like, go back to your business and let us do our job. <laughs> this way I thought and push pushes Rodney down <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> so he pulls Rodney aside and asks him 
why he's making shit harder on himself. Rodney says that Aisha is all that he had left and he's not just going to stand around and watch SVU not catch this guy. Mm -hmm. Precinct walk and talk with Cragen, Benson, Stabler, and Munch. They check the phone numbers that Munch found in Tina's room and one was for a friend and the other was to... <gasps> Malik Harris! What? Oh my God, I hate him. He's so hot. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Munch says Malik doesn't have a record, but came up as a victim of vehicular assault in 94. This was right after the third murder. His legs mm. were shattered. He spent three years getting better. But Cragen wonders why seven years has gone by between killings if Malik was out of commission for only three years. Turns out he gets disability checks. And up until recently, the address on the checks went to Detroit. Malik has a sister who lives in Detroit. Oh. So Cragen wants them to get Detroit homicide on the phone to see if they have any unsolved killings matching their victim profiles. They're putting the pieces together, pieces together, pieces together. <laughs> dick in a dick. <laughs> like when a, when a uncircumcised dick envelops another one and that's how men can talk about their feelings with each other. Dick in a dick. Nobody knows. Dick in a dick. And nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> Just try it, you guys. Like, to our four male listeners, just try it. Just put your dicks together. And, and I'm sorry, if anybody's listened to us for any extent of time and they're dudes, like, they're, I think they're not your average dude that needs to, like, punch a wall to get his feelings out. <laughs> the dudes that we have listening to us, if there are any. There are. They've been Lincoln, they've been Lincoln dicks. Lincoln dicks. I came so hard. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't. I can't. How dare you? How fucking dare you? Holy shit. I oh, couldn't God. let it go. I could just leave it there. I understand. I understand. Fuck me. Fuck me. Okay. I'm not. I'm gonna. As soon as we're done, I'm fucking drinking. Okay. Mm, Detroit homicide. Okay. So after this little gathering where Craig is like, you do this and you do this. And blah, Craig and calls Toots promptly into his office. Get in here. In Craigan's office, Craig and just got off the phone with the deputy commissioner for public information and wants to know why Toots was bad mouthing the media in Harlem. And Craig fucking pissed. And I'm like, mm -hmm. find another hill to fucking die on Craig. Okay. Yeah. I was like, you're bad mouthing the media. What were you thinking? You're like, a bunch of fucking black girls are dead and nobody cares. Just, Cragen, give it 20 years when nobody believes anything that, that a news source says. Fake news! Fake news! Yeah, right. Toots is like, oh my God, it's the truth though. If these girls were killed in the village or Upper West Side, the media would be all the fuck over it. Five black girls aren't even on their radar. And Cragen goes, mm -hmm. you finished? And Toots is like, no, I'm just getting started. Cragen mm -hmm. says it's no different than any other investigation. And Toots is like, oh, yeah? When an East Side socialite goes missing, we get 50 fucking cops on it. Black Truth. girls start getting executed and we got four cops on it. Does that sound equal to you? And Cragen's like, look, I know where you're coming from. And Toots interrupts him and says, no, you don't know where I'm coming from. There's no way you can know where I'm coming from. And Cragen gets pissed because he's like, well, I've come this far. I guess I'm going full around the horn being a dumbass. And he goes, don't you dare presume to know what's in my head. And Toots says, mm -hmm. 
No matter what you say, Captain, you're not black and you're not from the hood and fucking leaves. This is when white people need to shut the fuck up and listen. Like, Craig, that was the most infuriating scene. You know how we always say, like, oh, it was so great that they wrapped that up. And I know this isn't going to get wrapped up until we are long dead. And that's just like wishful thinking. But Mm -hmm. like, at least my fictional Captain Cragen needed to come back to Toots and go, you know what? I don't know your experience and I do need to defer to you when it comes to a case like this. It doesn't matter how much experience or what experiences you have. At the end of the day, you're still a cis, straight, white guy, Mm -hmm. period. You have different blind spots and maybe in those Mm -hmm. blind spots, Toots can see something that you can't. So good for fucking Toots for talking to Craig in the way nobody else has ever talked to him before. I know. I was like, Mm -mm. all right, now we're on the street. Toots is walking fast and Munch is like, hey, slow down. (laughs) I fucking hate Munch. (laughs) He's like, Toots is like, I have an informant. I'm going alone and like speeds off. Oh yeah. He just peels the fuck out and Munch is like Squidward like. (laughs) (laughs) So we're in the car. Toots has his his informant Benny in the backseat who's laying down and he's really irritated. He's got to talk to the cop. He doesn't want to be seen with Toots. I liked Benny a lot. Yeah. Benny heard that they were after quote King or Malik. Yeah. So he's like a rapper promoter wannabe. The girl that he that got beat up that was in the hospital. He had told her that he was a promoter and she had a rap audition. Yeah. So it was like, like, ooh, things are coming together. Mm-hmm. He uses the rap line mostly to pick up chicks, the guy says. Malik buys his coke and dope from one of Benny's guys. Yeah. So he doesn't have a job or anything, I guess. But he gets his money from, like, chicks he sweet talks. And they pay his way. And then we, they wise up and dump him. He's giving him all this information. And Toots is like, what's in this for you, Benny? And Benny's mm-hmm. like, I don't like him. <laughs> Which I thought was yeah. really cute. It's, yeah. Also dangerous. Be careful, Benny. I know. I know Toots was like, fucking sit up like a man. And he's like, no. I don't want anybody to fucking see me talking to you. He's like all the way down in the back seat. So now we got Toots and Cabot walk and talk. No judge will give them a warrant on a sketch. And they don't want to do a lineup because Malik will know that they're after him. Mm-hmm. So she's going to go get a warrant out for like the drugs that Benny was talking about. To pick Malik up on that charge. Yeah. Oh my God. I almost said we're at T-Rex recording studio. What? T-Rex? What the fuck? Game? <laughs> it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex with jugs. <laughs> like my back hurts. <laughs> uh, now we're at Tracks Recording Studio. Munch and Toots run up into Malik's studio and he tells them, he's like, I can't friggin' talk right now. I'm doing work. I can't believe you skipped the girl who was laying down tracks. I just, I was, no. I was just with like, her no. raps. I was watching it and I'm like, this is a bad bitch laying down these tracks. And then I was like, I don't even know how to say it without sounding so Midwestern white that like, yeah, but it was very, well, look at this little baddie. Look at this. <laughs> you get it, girl. Cheese and rice. You get those lines. Spitting bars. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to make lemon bars tonight. <laughs> is there a hat I could put a dollar in or something? She's good. I'm going to get out my camcorder. Do you mind? Do you mind? Start over. It's like, <gasps> Your shoulder. <laughs> you turn into start over. Can you start from the beginning? I missed the beginning. Five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> Becky Ann Lehman. Oh my god, I have so many movies I need to rewatch. How do oh, I ever watch no, anything geez. new? I'm like drop dead gorgeous. Haven't watched that in a minute either. Okay. Okay, so so they run up on Malik and he's like, guys, I'm busy. Okay, and then fucking fucking stupid munch. He was like, <laughs> Yeah, maybe oh god. I hated that. I fucking <laughs> 
I almost kyled a hole right in my computer in my wall. <laughs> I need to link up some dicks. I need to link with some dicks. Um, oh, God. Uh, he says, yeah, maybe you should be recording Jailhouse Rock. And I was like, oh! <laughs> Anyways, they arrest him for possession. So we're in the interrogation room. Malik is like, you're doing all this for some recreational pharmaceuticals. Munch and Toots show him photos of the dead girls and call them his handiwork. And he insists he didn't kill anyone. And Munch is like, feel free to dialogue. It's a callback. Get it? Yeah. And they decide to take him on a trip. So they take him down to the ME office. Corner Warner is giving him a DNA swab. He says he can't allow her to take his DNA because he's a Jehovah's Witness and it's against his religious tenets. Wink. And then he hits on her. We should get together sometime. Corner Warner is too fucking good for your ass, dude. But you can tell that she's yep. sort of like, still got it. Corner Warner's like, I can't take his DNA because the religious thing, like it's the law. He's using loopholes in the system. Right. So they're like, oh, fuck you, you know? And they take him outside and they're gonna go, they have to release him. But as they're outside, Toots pushes Malik's head purposely too hard so his sunglasses fall on the ground and he's like you know how much those sunglasses cost me and Toots is like mm, sorry and he leans down mm. like he's gonna pick them up and he steps on them instead and mm. he's like oh we'll replace them so back in the ME office they had taken the sunglasses so that they could get DNA off of them clever clever Malik mm. is a match on all six murders and eight rapes jesus toots has a smile like it's his kindergarten picture day and he's like yeah got him <laughs> yeah so now we're in the chambers of judge seligman seligman cabot and malik's lawyer are in the judge's chambers arguing about how malik's right to genetic privacy was violated mm -hmm. and cabot's like they get dna from all kinds of shit like spit on the street coffee cups etc and malik's lawyer is like dude that stuff is discarded voluntarily mm-hmm Toots assaulted her client and stole his sunglasses. Yeah. And she's not wrong. No. I mean, he did. 100%. <laughs> Cabot says that Malik demanded the detectives replace them, which he didn't. So therefore they were, quote, discarded and that makes them fair game. Cabot's not lying, though. It was very indirect. He didn't directly mm -hmm. say, you need to replace those. He's like, what the fuck? And they're like, he didn't argue. And they're like, oh, we'll replace them. Oh, and he's like, those are from Italy or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he certainly didn't demand them be replaced. No. So Cabot's like, dude, this fucking, his DNA links him to a half a dozen murders. But the judge is telling her that that's not the issue at hand. The issue is how the police gather the evidence. The police forced him to give his DNA. That's coercion. Mm -hmm. The DNA is out and he drops the charges because they have nothing else. Right. He tells Cabot that when the detectives go to blame him to tell them that they blew it, not him. And he's not wrong at all. No. Although it sucks, you know. Yeah. Hopefully something will pan out so this guy can get put away. Now we're in the precinct. Stabler's pissed, obviously. He's like, they didn't blow it. The judge let him go. And Cabot, ugh, whatever. Cabot's like, dude, you guys are idiots. <laughs> you should have done better. So what they have is possession three from the drugs that they found in his apartment. It's his first offense and he'll make bail. Stabler's being such a prick to Cabot. And she, of course, keeps a level head the whole time because he just keeps poking at her. And he's like, oh, are you just going to give up? Oh, my God, dude. There's a legal system that she fucking crushes every other episode for you guys. Yeah. She's like a fucking emotional scapegoat for these like unlinked dick hotheads these unlinked yeah. dicks these unhot link dicks i gotta let it like linking the dick thing up go i can't Ugh. i need it's good we need, you know how you wanted to get like a the dick tattoo where like i have the balls and you have the shaft or whatever we should yeah. just get two dicks and make them link up when 
we put together. Uh, That's our friendship. So she'll ask for remand, but knows the judge won't go for it. So Craigan wants Munch, Toots, Benson, Stabler in the courtroom for their arraignment. And if he gets out, he wants them following him. They want to get his DNA legally this time. And I'm like, oh, good for you. Like, fucking shut up. Mm. I like how that judge was like, oh, and before your fucking cops blame me, tell them that they fucked up. Because he knows. Yeah. Now they're in the courtroom. And the judge is like, yeah, fuck you and your remand, bitch. Cabot's like, dude, this guy's giving drugs to young women. And she believes that he's a danger to the community. And the judge wants them to approach. The judge is like, you guys, I have like 40 more cases. And you want me to F and fuck around with this shit? Yeah. Like, you guys fucked up. It's your murder case. And you want me to do the dirty work. It's like, not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the judge sets the bail at 2000 Fucking Rodney jumps over the fucking thingies and attacks Malik. Oh, my God. It was crazy. <laughs> so Toots grabs Rodney to arrest him and tells him to shut up but not before malik bites down on rodney's arm mm-hmm. i did not see that when that happened yeah so he, he like, did it like like his arm was a fucking turkey leg at a renaissance fair he's just like ha! <laughs> malik's on the street and everyone rolls on him and throws him against a fence like he had just gotten out he's like woo scot free and all these cops pull up and they're like, you're coming with us. And Malik's like, you don't have anything on me. And Munch is like, just taking a bite out of crime. And Benson's like, oh. just like you took a bite out of Rodney Thompson's arm. Oh, my God, you guys. <sighs> McGruff, the crime dog. Remember? Oh, fuck you. Remember? <laughs> He had taken a bite out of Rodney's arm when they were fighting. Well, that left DNA. So they got him. Mm-hmm. Voluntarily leaving DNA. Right? You'd think he'd have been smarter than that. Just like bite a guy. Didn't Munch even say that? It's like, hmm. I don't know. I thought you said, no, you made dialogue. I thought you were going to say that. Oh. So at the precinct, Cabot wants to know if Toots gave Rodney the idea to attack Malik to get DNA. Toots is like, do you really want to know? And she pauses and was like, no. Teamwork. Teamwork. Mm-hmm. So now we're in the interrogation room. Malik's lawyer is saying that it's all a setup. She's got baby carrots in her hand. <laughs> this is She's not got- the same lawyer. She's got Cheerios stuck to her face. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh- <laughs> Malik's lawyer's a different person. Whatever I'm doing in it. <laughs> Malik's lawyer's like, it's a setup. And Cabot's like, what? She's like, can the other lawyer come over for a sleepover tonight? <laughs> Cabot's like, what? We, we arranged for your client Malik to take a bite out of Rodney? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Then Stabler walks in. He just got shipped back from Detroit. Malik's DNA matches four homicides and five rapes. And Malik's like, I want a deal. Mm. And Toots laughs and says, you want a deal? You want a deal? How about right before we execute you for killing those girls, I bring you your last meal. How's that? Toots is like anger whispering and it's like an anger. He has like a quiver lip. Yeah. And that's the end. Oof. Nushan Williams was born in Brooklyn, New York on November 1st, 1976. His mom struggled with addiction, so he was raised by his grandmother, but she couldn't keep him out of the streets either. So Nushan started getting in trouble at a very young age, dealing crack, gang shit, robbery, and some pretty serious violence against women. Mm-hmm. People from his neighborhood remember him as a neglected kid. He got in a lot of trouble, but also like a lot of kids in his situation was set up to fail, in my opinion. Now, this is not to excuse his later behavior, she said in a foreshadowy tone. I just 
think it's important to note that like there are so many kids in socioeconomic situations that are not set up for success. Systemic racism and classism is a fucking thing. Get over it. I mean, not don't get, get under it. Do something about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like get over that. It's not a, you know, when people are like, it doesn't yeah. you know, like it, it does. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps. And oh, this person was blah, blah, blah. This this kid was like, you know, taking care of himself before like you'd be shitting your pants at what this kid probably had to deal with at such a young age. In 1994, in 1994, Williams was arrested at 17 years old for murder. He had accompanied a friend who killed a dude with a hunting knife. And after he was acquitted of the charges in 1995, Williams moved up to Chautauqua County, specifically Jamestown, New York, a rural town upstate. But why are we talking about him in this episode? So Williams had multiple aliases, Nushan Williams, Shaitik Johnson, Face, that was his nickname. Is this guy named Face? Yeah. God, I, I, was he handsome? Was he not? Like, what was the... Well, I knew a lot about him before I saw his mugshot. So I was like, hmm. You know, hmm. I didn't have like a like an objective. Oh, look at you. So I don't know. He was the worst kind of fuck boy, though. So like he was super charming and every girl wanted a piece of him. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he would charm the absolute shit out of women and girls until he was able to sleep with them. The youngest mm-hmm. being 13. Volatile and controlling, he would use violence to keep any girl he had a relationship with in line. And by the time he was up in Jamestown, he knowingly had the HIV virus. Williams had reportedly slept with up to 43 women and girls in Chautauqua County and at least 28 in New York City. Of course, that number is probably extremely inaccurate. Nushan Mm. himself was said to have bragged about sleeping with upwards of 300 women and girls. I'm not going to just say women because he liked young, young girls, 13, 14, 15. He is the first person in the U.S. to be publicly ID'd and criminally charged with spreading HIV. Williams was informed of his status in September of 1996 and went on to infect a number of women before he was stopped. In an interview, the anonymous 13-year-old ninth grader he infected had said Nushan had pursued her for almost an entire year before she had sex with him. I say groomed, but this is, you know, her experience. He was 19 at the time. Police became aware of what was happening when caseworkers reported that his name kept coming up in interviews with newly positive women and girls. All of a sudden, he starts popping up on every new case's contact list. I mean, it's a small town, so... Mm There's this influx of positive cases and his name is on every person's list. Mm -hmm. Essentially, he is, I hate to say the word credited, but he is credited with being the primary cause of what was called an HIV microepidemic. The health department went to court to get permission to go public as a means of protecting future victims. Up until this point, per New York law, Williams had a right to anonymity. This law originated to protect HIV AIDS patients during the 1980s AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. Two main things there. One, to protect people from anti-gay hate crimes and persecution. And two, people may avoid learning their status if it meant public knowledge of their status, which would obviously spread the virus more Mm -hmm. since the proven majority of those infected are socially responsible with their diagnosis. 
Right. Right. Yeah. New York City Health Commissioner Dr. Barbara DeBuono said, quote, I have not seen anything quite like this before. This is the first time in New York State that we have ever had to invoke the imminent danger component of our confidentiality law governing HIV related information. Mm -hmm. So from what I gather from the things that I read that she said, there was a stipulation put in place in case it was pertinent to release otherwise confidential information. This investigation into Williams didn't come to any charges until he was already being held. So living back in the Bronx, Williams was arrested on charges of selling crack to an undercover cop on September. September 22nd, 1999. In 1999, Williams pled guilty to statutory rape for one of the underage girls. I'm assuming it was the 13-year-old who, by the way, like many others, did end up with HIV. But I didn't find anything that confirmed that the statutory rape charge was for her because he also slept with plenty of other underage girls. He was also charged with reckless endangerment for the careless way in which he spread the virus. Mm -hmm. He couldn't be tried for attempted murder since no one had died yet, and they couldn't prove he intended to kill anyone. So he was found guilty and sentenced to 12 years in prison. Okay. But let's get Mm -hmm. mad at everyone. Do you want to get mad at everyone? Yeah, I already am. We can agree that 19-year-old Nushan Williams was making horrible, awful choices. He did say that he didn't believe them when they told him he was you can't I can only take what he says to a certain degree I can only entertain a belief in it for so far you know what I mean Mm -hmm. but he claimed that he did not believe the diagnosis he thought that they were just like there was like a conspiracy to run him out of town kind of thing oh sure so he claims that he was not aware that he was truly spreading the virus That's just to give a little bit of grace if you have it. I don't. Based on his sentencing, if Williams were to serve his entire prison term, he would have been released in April of 2010. But this is something I pulled from HIVLawAndPolicy.org. Quote, in 2007, New York passed a law that allows the state to prevent the release of a very small percentage of convicted sex offenders who, because of a mental abnormality, are unable to control their tendencies to commit sex crimes in the future. You see where this is going. Four days before his release, New York Attorney General Andrew Cuomo filed an application to have Williams indefinitely civilly committed as a dangerous sex offender. Four days yeah. before his release? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wait, so this this episode was literally based on this case, right? Yeah, but it they didn't even... Yes. I mean, because he's the like the OG case... Of, and it was just a couple of years before the episode came out. So, yeah. But then, like, they talked about this in the episode. They talked about civil commitment. Mm-hmm. You know, they talked about people getting committed because they can't imprison them. And then that's what happened to him. That's what's yeah. wild about it. Yeah. So that was in 2010 that Cuomo did this. Williams is still there today. So Cuomo claimed that it had nothing to do with his status, but it was mentioned more than 1,000 times during the commitment trial. <laughs> had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Even with the advancement of HIV medical technology, such as common treatment that suppresses a person's viral load to the point of being untransmittable to a sexual partner, he's still, like, there's zero consideration for him to get out. There's causes working on his behalf because he is being unjustly held at this point. Mm -hmm. And do I like what he did? No. But this feels like it has more to do with mass incarceration of people of color and HIV misinformation Mm -hmm. and the stigma that goes along with an HIV diagnosis. Mm. So that's my thought. 
<laughs> that's my soapbox. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, and that's where it stands. There's like nothing happening. There's like no wheels of justice turning at this point. He's just civilly committed. He's supposed to be getting therapy and all this other stuff. And it's bare minimum and has served his time twice over. Wow. Huh. I'd never heard of this. I know. Neither had I. But it's fucked up, right? Like the yeah. whole the whole thing of it. Like, I mean, especially him being 19. Again, I don't want to excuse it. People's lives were ruined. Dozens of people. Yeah. And not to mention the people like around them that were affected. But I don't know. Like we argue like the legal system, like the legal system has a place and there's a loophole that they have to just be able to be like, you're locked away. But then when, when a fucking, you know, when a rapist gets released and then they go and they commit a crime again, we're just like, oh, throw them away forever. It's such a fucking catch 22. I know. I hate it. And people should go extinct. <laughs> Except for indigenous people that know how to take care of the planet. The people that were here taking care of the earth before all of the whites did all of the stuff. <laughs> you guys get to stay. Shit, that's me. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> Next week on SVU Pod, especially heinous. Season three, episode Five. I'm desperately trying to have energy right now. <laughs> so next week we have season three, episode five, Tangled. An estranged son and a former patient are the prime suspects in the murder of a prominent doctor and the rape of his wife. No. no. Special thanks to our elite squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Nikki B, Marissa M, and Elkie H. Hey! So we love you and we appreciate you and your guys' support means everything. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash svupod. You can be on one of a few tiers that we have. There you're going to find bonus episodes along with other Patreon-exclusive shit. Yeah. Wee! So we got a bunch of merch on the website, www.svupod.com. Do I need to say www? <laughs> um. W. W-W-W. <laughs> Shirts, hats, a couple different types of hats, freaking stickers, a couple different types of stickers. Email us at svpod at gmail.com for any questions and concerns. <laughs> Follow us at all of our social media at svpod. And you know what? Like, everybody, let's just like link dicks and like love each other, you know? Mm. <laughs> That's a dick link. <laughs> that is one solid dick link a solid dick link is like one of those really good high fives that connect super hard yes and then you feel like a love beat for just a second with that person mm -hmm. is that all our stuff i think so i think so i think so no no join our facebook group um svu pod elite squad yeah i just popped it open the other day and there was a video and a listener was like, I was having a dream. <laughs> she had this adorable Australian accent, like the kind that I wish I could do, like the subtle kind that's in actuality what people from Australia sound like. Yeah. But then I'm like, Gabe, an Australian was sending you a message, <laughs> a video message. Ugh. Watch the video. And I'm like, no, no, I don't know. <laughs> No, no. Okay. Anything else? I think that's it. All right. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. I noticed that we've been popping our peas a lot. Have we? Yeah. Maybe we should get those little thingies again. 
Oh, Why those were the worst, them? though. Those filters. Yeah. You don't yeah, like my peas? <laughs> Send us an it's email my... if you don't like my peas. It's terrible. <laughs> you know. Um. Jesus Christ. Oh, and I scooted back and it pulled my sweatpants right down. <laughs> Life is so hard for you, right? <laughs> I lounged so hard, my pants <laughs> fell off. <laughs> um, in nineteen eighty-four. Sorry. Why am I apologizing? Why do I always do that? No, I was like, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Hi. Hi. I got a P2. Hold on. Ah. Oh, my knee. 